folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. It's Friday the 16th of February and this week we're going to have a look at the recent announcement that the Linux kernel are going to start assigning their own CVEs. Yes, they are now a CVE numbering authority, a CNA. And so we're going to look at uh, yeah, the announcement of that and the fallout from some of that. Plus, uh, we're going to do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week including for packages like the Linux kernel, uh, libd265, WebKit GTK, Bind, and others. But yeah, let's just get straight into that. So this week, there were 64 unique CVEs addressed by the team. And like I said, up first, we're going to have a look at some updates for the Linux kernel. So uh, I'm just going to pick out some of the more interesting vulnerabilities here, but I will mention uh, that there was a live patch released for the kernel, and this is for all of our uh, LTS or LTS releases that are now uh, in extended security maintenance. Uh, so that is from 2204, 2004, 1804, 1604, and 1404. You can get a live patch um, depending on which kernel version you're running for all of those. Uh, this includes a bunch of more recent high priority CVEs, so things I talked about back in uh, la, or a couple of weeks ago in episode 217. Uh, there was a few use after free, so use after free in the IGMP protocol and uh, within NetFilter and that one in particular it could be exploited through unprivileged username spaces as well as use after free in SMB client implementation. So all of those, yeah, definitely um, high priority because they could all be triggered by an unprivileged user. As well, there was a fix for another vulnerability rolled into this update, which I've not talked about before, so I thought I'd pick this one out. It was a null pointedy reference in uh, the kernel's TLS offload implementation. So this essentially allows a user space process to request to the kernel that it should do TLS on its behalf. And so what you do is you essentially uh, provide it a bunch of metadata, things like the key and the IV and other bits that it actually needs to do that. And then it will use uh, the crypto subsystem of the kernel internally to do all the cryptographic operations. That then means it could potentially say be accelerated by a hardware crypto accelerator on your machine or something. So, you know, a nice way of doing optimized uh, TLS. Uh, so what happens then is internally the kernel takes the data that user space gives it, it frames it into a scatter list, which is uh, a way of describing a bunch of um, regions in memory that contain the data to be sent, you know, like a, you know, the memory is over there and it's this many bytes long. And then, like I said, it then uses the kernel crypto API underneath, which is asynchronous to then go and actually encrypt that data or whatever it might be doing. Uh, so what happens then is that user space can actually construct an invalid initial sequence number because like I said, you need to provide a bunch of metadata to the kernel to start this off. Uh, that will then trigger the kernel to enter a code path where uh, the network packet itself gets freed before it's finished being processed by uh, the crypto API because like I said, that is done asynchronously. And then as a result, you've got two things using the same bit of memory. One uh, frees it, the other one is still using it and that's a use after free. And again, able to be triggered from an unprivileged process in user space there. And so yeah, because this is a live patch, you've got updates for all of those high priority vulnerabilities, basically for any, uh, well, across a lot of the different uh, Ubuntu releases uh, and different kernel versions. Uh, I've got a table in the show notes that outlines that. It's also in uh, the live patch notice as well. And if you want more details on what uh, kernel you're running and live patch version, you can just run canonical live patch status on the command line to see that. Then we had a bunch of regular kernel updates. So that's, you know, you need to install those kernel debs and reboot your machine to be running those, unlike the live patch. And that touches a heap of different uh, Ubuntu releases and platforms. So yeah, make sure you've installed those. But again, because they contain a lot of the same vulnerabilities, I won't go into details about that. 
But moving on from kernel vulnerabilities, we then had an update for libde265. This is a library for uh, implementing the H.265 video codec implementation. It's used by a bunch of other packages, in particular the GStreamer framework, and that's then used by uh, the standard video application in Ubuntu, uh, otherwise known as Totem uh, from GNOME. In that case, you know, this applies all the way back to our 16.04 release, all the way through to 22.04 LTS and those in between. So uh, being a library written in C, it's got all the usual sorts of issues that we expect to see uh, in code written in a memory unsafe language like that. And it looks like a lot of these were found uh, by a couple different researchers fuzzing the upstream project. They then found issues like the ability to trigger an assertion failure or trigger null pointer dereferences. Uh, all of those are able to be uh, resulting in a denial of service because you'll crash the application. There was an out of bounds read or two as well. Uh, those can result in either an info leak depending on how that's being used or potentially crashing the application as well. And then a use after free and a bunch of out of bounds writes as well. So those ones being memory corruption, you can potentially get code execution from those as well. So a heap of fixes there for libde265. Uh, Glant store was updated after that. Uh, that was a Python library that is uh, extracted from uh, the OpenStack image service store. Essentially, it's a library for interacting with uh, the assets that are stored there. So things like images, obviously, uh, that uh, then different storage technologies uh, that it knows how to talk to. So things like you can store them in a local file system or over HTTP or RBD or Swift or in S3 and a heap of others as well. Uh, so in this case, it was particular to uh, the S3 backend for this. It would log uh, the access key if you had your logging level configured at debug. So that would then just simply print that out into the debug log. Any user then that was able to read that log would be able to get access to that access key and potentially get access to your S3 bucket. Uh, it, note that they would also need uh, the secret key as well. So it's probably not that high an impact this one uh, because the secret key wasn't being logged along with the access key, but nonetheless, that was fixed. We then had uh, three different CVEs addressed for WebKit GTK in our more recent releases. So 22.04 and 23.10. WebKit GDK is based on the upstream WebKit project maintained by Apple and Apple unfortunately don't release many details about their security fixes. Uh, so these were described as things like improved memory handling to fix possible arbitrary code execution when processing crafted web content or improved access restrictions to fix user fingerprinting from a crafted web page, so the ability to track you, I suppose, as well as improved checks to fix a type confusion issue, which was able to be triggered from crafted web content. But they did note in that one that they had seen reports of it being possibly exploited in the wild. So good to see that one being fixed by the upstream WebKit GTK developers. Then we had an update for OpenSSL for uh, our couple of our older releases of being maintained now through uh, expanded security maintenance or available through Ubuntu Pro. Uh, so that was two different CVEs for OpenSSL, like I said, and I talked about these actually back in episode 218. So go listen back to that one if you want to know more about those vulnerabilities. Uh, we then had an update for Bind for our couple more recent releases. So that's 22.04 and 23.10. Five CVEs were rolled into this, uh, a range of different issues there, including two different CPU-based denial-of-service attacks that could be mounted. One of those was in the handling of regular DNS queries and responses, but the other was within DNSSEC. Uh, but this and another vulnerability discovered by the same researchers in DNSSEC were given a nice name and a website and a press release. Uh, they dubbed this one Keytrap. 
and it doesn't just affect uh, DNS servers, but also DNS resolvers. So basically any client system that's wanting to do DNS lookups uh, because it was actually within the DNSSEC standard itself, uh, this issue and hence affects also various other implementations as well. So not just bind. In this case, the attack works by having an attacker create a DNS zone with many RRSIG and DNS key records. Uh, these are two different attributes that you need uh, for your uh, records that contain both a cryptographic signature and a public key, respectively. And so then when a client wants to validate uh, the responses that they get, they then uh, essentially get both that uh, signature and public key they validate the signature using the public key but in this case because you've now as an attacker created many different signatures and many different keys they don't know which one to use so they have to try every single possible combination and because if for each of those that's a one-to-many relationship you end up with this state space explosion plus the fact that you're doing an expensive cryptographic operation means that you can peg that cpu for a very long uh, amount of time uh, the attacker said they were able to lock up bind for 16 hours with this attack and so can you completely denial of service against uh, the server in particular if it's implemented in a single threaded manner so the fix for this was not just uh, to actually put a bound on the amount of time that could be taken by bind to do that uh, validation but to also actually do it in a multi-threaded manner as well uh, plus there was another issue in DNSSEC in uh, the NSEC3 proof of non-existence. So essentially that is where uh, it tries to prove that a name doesn't exist. Uh, so yeah, that was able to be exploited as well. Then, uh, because Ubuntu now participates in Patch Tuesday because we are shipping .NET, we had some updates for .NET, for all .NET 6, 7, and 8 for our more recent releases. Uh, in this case, there were two different issues. And again, Microsoft, a bit like Apple, don't release a heap of details about these vulnerabilities. But one of them was a denial of service that could be triggered when parsing X509 certificates if uh, using OpenSSL, and that is the case in Ubuntu. Plus, there was a denial of service in the Signal R library uh, that was able to be triggered by a malicious client. And I had to look this up, but the Signal R library is used to allow a server to send asynchronous notifications to client-side web applications. So it looks like a bunch of JavaScript that you can include on both uh, client and server to allow you to do those asynchronous notifications. And finally, we had three CVEs fixed in Ultra JSON. This is a fast JSON encoder decoder for Python. And when I went looking at what the details of these vulnerabilities were, there was a use after free, there was a memory corruption and a stack buffer overflow. And I thought that sounds odd because it does mention Python, but these all sound like the kind of issues that we expect in languages like C and others. And actually it turns out that this uh, Ultra JSON package, uh, whilst it's for Python, it's implemented as a C library with a bunch of Python bindings for it so yeah not surprisingly then that we do see uh, these normal sorts of uh, memory unsafe type vulnerabilities within such a so-called python package so yeah they were fixed for ultra json going all the way back to ubuntu 1604 and uh, the lts releases since and that is it for the week in security updates Okay, so the other thing I wanted to talk about this week is the recent announcement that the Linux kernel is going to become a CNA or a CVE numbering authority. And so earlier this week, Greg Crower Hartman, he's one of the more famous Linux kernel developers uh, responsible for uh, the various stable kernel trees and the various stable kernel releases, plus uh, has their name down as the maintainer for a heap of different subsystems within the kernel. So they basically manage the flow of patches for those different subsystems through to Linux and ultimately uh, the upstream kernel. Uh, he actually also wrote uh, one of the most popular books on Linux kernel driver development, uh, Linux device drivers. Uh, it's been quite out of date for a while now, but it is still 
still very widely used. Um, yeah, so someone who's very well acquainted with uh, the Linux kernel development process and very well tied into that. Uh, so announced uh, on his blog that the Linux kernel itself will, has been accepted as a CVE numbering authority by MITRE and it would start issuing CVEs for vulnerabilities that have been found within the kernel itself. And this is quite a surprising announcement really because for a very long time the upstream Linux kernel has been pretty well hostile to CVEs as a general idea. They've had a security disclosure process there that if you find a vulnerability, you can contact uh, security at kernel.org and report that to them. But they explicitly say, we won't assign a CVE for this. You need to go and do that somewhere else. So the fact that they now want to start assigning CVEs is quite interesting. Uh, like I said, they've been you know, pretty uh, hostile and actually been sort of disparaging of the CVE process and ecosystem itself. And Greg himself has actually said previously that uh, essentially CVEs for the kernel are meaningless because all bugs are potentially security issues and that effectively there are so many fixes that go into the kernel and the various stable trees of which the security impact is not clear. And so the only way then to stay secure would be to track one of the supported upstream stable kernel trees um, or you know we would basically start issuing CVEs for every single commit that goes into one of those stable trees whilst for you know that's kind of uh, I think a bit outrageous but whilst in Ubuntu we do agree that the only way to maintain a kernel is to base your kernel or to use one of the stable trees directly and that is why the Ubuntu kernel team continuously incorporate uh, fixes from the various stable trees into the supported Ubuntu kernels. Uh, we do, though, see a lot of value in the CVE ecosystem. Uh, it is the language that all distros and all uh, product managers and everyone else speaks. Uh, it's the whole, it's the language of vulnerabilities. And so it is the only way really to do um, vulnerability tracking. And we don't also agree, though, that all fixes warrant a CVE, obviously. You, know, you need to have some actual security impact and you need to be able to demonstrate that before you assign a CVE. Um, so then looking at that, though, it's not surprising to see in the initial announcement, there was a statement, and I'm going to quote it directly, where Greg said that, note, due to the layer at which the Linux kernel is in a system, almost any bug might be exploitable to compromise the security of the kernel, but the possibility of exploitation is often not evident when the bug is fixed. Because of this, the CVE assignment team is overly cautious and assigns CVE numbers to any bug fix that they identify. And so on the surface of that, uh, that led many people, including us, to fear that the kernel uh, CNA would be issuing an extremely high volume of CVEs and that would effectively overwhelm the CVE process and make it unworkable. And so, for instance, uh, Linux Weekly News, uh, they calculated that for the 6.1 stable kernel that's been out for about a year now, it's had over 12,000 fixes applied to it in that time. So that then leaves a huge scope for a huge number of CVEs that could possibly be assigned, you know, up to 12,000, obviously, in that time. Uh, and actually, as a comparison, I had a look and across all of 2023, so in a year, there was 29,000 CVEs assigned, the most for any year. And so if you're now comparing 29,000 CVEs that were assigned across every single software project and hardware project and vendor uh, across the world, compared to then just saying, and 12,000 would be just for the Linux kernel, that's basically a quarter of all CVEs in the future could be for the Linux kernel. That's crazy. So, uh, you know... And 
it's not to be sort of sniffed at because Greg actually has some prior form in this space as well. In 2019, he gave a talk where he suggested that one way the Colonel community could help fix the issue of CVEs being erroneously assigned against the Colonel would be to start doing exactly this thing and assigning a CVE for every fix that it applied to the Colonel and hence overwhelmed the CVE ecosystem and in his words to burn it down. Also, uh, there is the GSD project, the Global Security Database, and that was kind of set up as an alternative or competitor to the CVE project. And they were doing exactly this. They were tracking a huge number of fixes, and I guess they still are actually, for the stable kernel trees and assigning them their own GSD identifiers. And I've got a link in the show notes, but as per uh, their current list, they currently track 13,573 GSDs just for the kernel. So, you know, this sounds pretty scary. We're going to suddenly go from having what might have been hundreds of CVEs uh, against the Linux kernel to now having, you know, 12,000 in a year. Ridiculous. But thankfully, though, uh, this plan does seem to have moderated over the past few days since when Greg initially posted it. Uh, So after he posted his patch set to the Linux kernel mailing list documenting that process, he then clarified in a follow-up email that uh, it would not be the case that they would be assigning uh, CVEs for every single fix that went into the stable tree. Instead, they said that CVEs will only be assigned for commits which appear to have a security-relevant impact, which sounds good. It's the exact kind of thing that I think they should be doing. Uh, How they actually do that, though, remains to be seen. And he made a comment that said, we will know it when we see it. So that doesn't exactly put me at ease since uh, even they actually themselves said that the security relevance of commits that go into the trees is not necessarily initially evident. You know, it's very easy to miss the security implications of any possible commit. So hopefully we won't be seeing a tidal wave of CVEs being assigned by the kernel CNA, but I guess that remains to be seen. One thing, though, that I guess wasn't clear and that I actually went and asked Greg about uh, via Mastodon is how they're going to track fixes for the CVEs. Because in their model, uh, CVE is essentially equivalent to the commit that fixes the issue. But for lots of existing kernel vulnerabilities that get assigned by other CNAs like Canonical or Red Hat and others uh, in the past, the fix can sometimes comprise multiple commits. And so Greg then replied saying that the whole process is quite complex and whilst their existing scripts want a one-to-one mapping from CVEs to commits, they do plan to fix this in the future. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see what that looks like. Also, it's going to be interesting to see how the interaction with uh, security researchers plays out. Uh, As I said, in the past, they've always said you can email them uh, security at kernel.org with a security vulnerability that you may have found in the kernel and they will then coordinate with you on getting an appropriate fix for that. But their current process of assigning CVEs is heavily skewed towards the fix already being in a stable tree. That then means that there isn't a lot of room for responsible disclosure. They now, they do say they can assign a CVE for an issue before it is resolved um, with a commit that ends up in one of the stable trees. So you can get a CVE ID before they've got the fix ready to go and committed. But there's no details there on whether they will then give a heads up to distros that you know a vulnerability is coming down the pipe and here's the uh, planned patch or anything like that. So yeah, I did ask Greg about that as well, but I'm still awaiting a response on that one. 
So a lot of, I guess, interesting things to see how that plays out. We know that the Linux kernel is itself obviously you know, one of the most high profile attack services within a Linux distribution. You know, we have competitions like Pwn to Own that say offer a monetary reward if you can get privilege escalation on Ubuntu, but they explicitly say that that must be done through a kernel vulnerability. So even though you might, I don't know, be able to find something like that Polkit bug that got announced, uh, say through GitHub a year or two ago, that could give you privilege escalation, uh, you know, that wouldn't have qualified. In this case, you know, the kernel is really seen as the target of choice so yeah being such a high profile target yeah I'm, I'm personally very interested to see how this all goes and certainly how it impacts our distros like Ubuntu and how we do kernel CVE tracking and I guess how that may affect the operations of our kernel team as well so I will keep you all posted on updates to that in the future all right and so that takes us to the end of this week's episode Thanks everyone for listening again for another week. If you want to get in contact with the team, you can always email us, security.ubuntu.com. You can come and chat with us on libera.chat in the Ubuntu Security channel, or you can come and hit us up on Mastodon. We are at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org there as well. Okay, so I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.